Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, very awesome episode this week. Um, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk once again with Thomas Mullins. Uh, the last time we talked to Thomas, he had just finished the Tahoe 200 mile race uh, out at Lake Tahoe. Um, this time, we are going to talk with him. Uh, and it's a month and a half, maybe two months removed from the Cocodona 250 through Arizona. Um, he's basically just going to tell us all about the race. Uh, I was rooting for him the whole time watching his blue dot go uh, <laughs> across Arizona. Um, me and a group of friends were texting him, kind of sending him encouragement, and he would send just like little tidbits about the race that were insanely fascinating. So we'll get into that, like the first 30 miles of the race, which apparently was just pure madness. Um, but more importantly, like when I met Thomas, uh, and started racing with him, uh, he was a guy that I really looked up to. Um, he is just a really great ultra runner. He's well thought out. Um, honestly, if I said this in the outro of last episode, but if you're an ultra runner, um, this is a guy you need to listen to. Um, he's just very, he never panics. He never gets low. Uh, or if he does get low, he never lets that kind of like overcome his race. Um, he's just very stoic, uh, throughout a race and he's very steady. Um, and I think he demonstrated that in Cocodona. He really stayed on his game plan the whole entire race. Uh, he talks about something in this episode that I think we can all take home as uh, ultra runners, but also just as you know, people in general. He talks about this idea of taking inventory in the low moments. So really, you know, when you have these moments where you're feeling beat up, you're feeling down, you're feeling like things aren't going your way, uh, just stopping and slowing down. And instead of pushing through and having these little problems become big issues, really taking a second to like stop, take inventory. What can you do about them? What do you have with you? What skills do you have that you can apply to the situation to ultimately get through it and reach your goal? And I just love that idea so much. Um, so still learning from this guy. He's like Obi-Wan Kenobi. If Obi-Wan was like a, like a like a Texan wearing a cowboy hat, you know, if Obi-Wan just brought this like Texas, like almost like Matthew McConaughey-esque swagger uh, to the way he tells you stuff. <laughs> and just side note, um, after we recorded this episode, uh, Thomas surprised all of us by showing up at Desert Rats and basically being the uh, Swiss army knife of the race where he was helping set up camps. He was helping break down camps. He was cheering people on. He was jumping in on our film crew, helping us film the race. He was giving us uh, Coors banquets and Coors lights, depending on if you wanted the B plus level beer or the C minus level beer. Um, and it was just a blast and he's, it was awesome. Like I just, I was so excited that he came out and he spent another week adventuring with us through the desert in this really weird, unique way, um, that we got to support the runners that I really just got to spend time with my friend. Um, it meant the world to me. It meant the world to our friend, Phil and the world to our friend, Paul, when Thomas surprised us 
at dinner and I kind of knew he was texting me. He was like, where are you guys at? And I told him where we're at for dinner, but it still surprised me. He like came up behind us and like, Hey there guys. And we're like, what? And then like pasta J's in Moab probably thought we were going to start fighting and that Phil and Thomas were like wrestling because they hugged each other for like two minutes straight and yelled while they were hugging each other. They were so excited and it was so genuine and so much fun. Uh, It's one of the memories I'll always remember. And I'm hoping for a lot more adventures with this guy in the future. So I hope you guys learn a lot from this episode. Let's jump right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 260, all about Coca Dona 250, which is just seems like an incredible and a really tough race through Arizona in May. Um, Yeah, man, let's get into it. This is a fun one. All right, ladies and gents, we have Thomas Mullins back on the podcast. And Thomas, I was going to do a like a dramatic thing to start the podcast. Is this cool? This is perfect. There's enough drama in the world as it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was going to say there's a picture I saw from Scott Rokas um, from Cocodona. I, like many other people, like followed along online um you know but mostly it was just because we're me and a group of guys were all geeking out because you were out there um and then one night i don't i think probably like night two or three of the race scott posted this picture and it's just of this cowboy with with the mountains behind him and a couple houses to be fair but there's the mountains of Arizona behind him and this cowboy is just walking into the uh, away from the houses into the desert the sun is setting behind him right just looking cool as a cucumber and he then you like as you're looking at the cowboy you're like is that cowboy wearing short shorts <laughs> <laughs> Those are my short chaps. <laughs> oh, we didn't see the other side of them, so that makes sense. No, no, the, the, <laughs> it's uh, it's all uh, yeah, maybe uh, pretty vented on the backside. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I just was thinking though, I'm like, you need that picture framed. That is a freaking awesome picture. That was fantastic. That was uh, running across Fane Ranch. Okay. And it's just a wide open space there outside of Prescott, um, headed to Mingus Mountain. And I couldn't see anybody out there. And I had no idea that Scott was out there perched on a hill shooting photography as the sunset is what it was. And uh, of course, I always have my big hat on. I have it on right now, the very same hat. You're <laughs> <laughs> under this Texas sun right now. Yeah. But yeah, we had a great conversation out there, Mr. Rokas and I did. Uh, I, I wasn't in too big of a hurry. I was just enjoying myself, taking my time. Yeah, man. Well, you know, and I'm sure people who haven't done anything like this are like, wait, he was enjoying himself for a 250-mile race? But like you almost have to be in that mindset, right? Absolutely. I I had the time of my life. It was just, it was enjoyable. Uh, it wasn't a race for me. I wanted to see as much land as I could. Yeah. Um, and be as comfortable as possible. Um, you, my gosh, that gave us plenty of time to complete the course. 
and I darn near took all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what if anybody's hurry? I mean, this, this is good stuff here. You don't want to run by it. Yeah. You don't want to be miserable. No, that's amazing, man. Well, can you like take us back? So you have done a handful of these like really big races. Uh, last time we talked to you on the podcast, it was after the Tahoe 200. Um, what What is it about these that like keep drawing you back? Really, it's just an opportunity to see these amazing landscapes and you have access to aid stations and a bit of a safety net. Um, and you're out there with some other folks that are like-minded, um, you know, trekking through these amazing wildernesses and backcountry and uh, mountains. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's just a great journey. Uh, it's an objective. Uh, I've finally come to that realization. The objective is to finish or complete the course. Uh, because there's really not a finish. It's on to the next one. Like you said, I've done a handful of these now from Bigfoot, Tahoe, and stage racing, and now the Cocodona 250-ish. <laughs> uh, does, that mean, does that mean but, more? Uh, it's not just 250? Yeah, I think uh, we clocked 257. Nice, man. Uh, Got that lucky seven. Actually, (laughs) we did. Uh, The the course was a little bit long. Uh, I think they're going to amend it and try to bring it down a little bit. But honestly, after 250, uh, what's another seven miles? (laughs) (laughs) That was the entirety of my run this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) it was funny. I believe at mile seven on the course, if I remember correctly, uh, there was a sign uh, staked in the ground there along the trail, and it said only 250 more to go, <laughs> and that was at mile seven. So I know they did have an extra seven somewhere. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, man, yeah, I just, you know, we were just so excited for you and, you know, kind of ex- ex- excited to, like, follow along on the journey. And I know, like, Cocodona, they did, like, live coverage and, like, drone shots and at one point our friend phil texted me he's like i just saw uh thomas's cowboy hat on the drone and but that was the (laughs) only time we we could find you on the whole feed but what was that kind of a weird like side thing going on yeah it was kind of a new element um of course you don't see anybody but the leaders uh and that's why you didn't see me (laughs) um (laughs) Really, it's just the front of the pack that they were following, yeah, uh, and trying to uh, stream out there for folks to watch. Uh, I guess that's the most interesting runners are the ones at the front, apparently. But uh, no, I mean, you you're just back here with your cowboy hat, looking awesome when you're in short shorts, yeah. you know, just saying, <laughs> just hanging out right yeah. with the rest of the field. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I mean the. It was interesting. The, the start, we had wave starts uh, due to uh, COVID. Um, I think there was five waves, and they busted us up in like 10 or 15-minute increments to separate us out there and um, kind of meet uh, the local standard for uh, COVID uh, and be sensitive to that. But, uh, yeah, I was the second or third wave. I can't remember now. But... Uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty electric at the start, early in the morning, 5 o'clock. 
of course, and the right there at daybreak. But yeah, that, that was a unique aspect uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, having that kind of fanfare around it, you know. Yeah, were most of the people you were racing with were they experienced in two hundreds also, or were there a lot of like newbies to it? There were a lot of newbies initially. Uh, they vetted this race and had a standard uh, for folks who wanted to register for it. And they were, they were pretty high standards. Yeah. Um, and then of course, due to the pandemic that really knocked the numbers down and they completely dropped uh, all of those pre-rec races necessary to sign up for Coca-Dona. Um, and I think you probably saw that in the DNF rate, how yeah. uh, hot it was. Um, I think 180 of us, let's say, started, and I believe 60-plus DNF. Wow. Uh, and I don't know each of the individuals that dropped, because there certainly were some uh, vet racers that uh, dropped as well. Um, but I feel like that first day and a half that zapped and got rid of all of the inexperienced folks for sure. Dang, man. What? Yeah. Cause you texted us. I think it was, it was either after or towards the end of the race, but you were just like, dude, the first like 30 miles, it was just like people throwing up, like just heat was hitting everybody. It's one of the most surreal things I've ever been through. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredibly insane. Uh, the first 11 miles were just wonderful. Oh, my gosh, the, the, the cactus and the desert and climbing away from uh, Black Canyon City uh, and jumping over the Bradshaws there, and all of a sudden it was, wow, you were out there. Um, and it was going to be a pretty warm day, and they warned us uh, at aid station, that first one, at mile 11, that for the next section uh, that we needed to carry a minimum of uh, or at least three liters of water. I carried four and still ran out. No way, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I think a, a person could have carried five or six. Uh, and that would have got you through. Dang. It, it, from there, um, what did the course take us? To about mile 63, from there it was all uphill. And I don't know, that, I've heard people throw the numbers out um, up to Crown King. Uh, it's like over that 22-mile stretch there with no aid station. And the Bradshaws is like seven or 8,000 feet of gain. Dang, man. So there was a lot of up and down. And the course is kind of wide open out there. Uh, you can see where you're going for several miles where the Jeep road meanders in and out, climbing up and down yeah. the Bradshaws out there. And that's it's a bit daunting for sure. And uh, I remember leaving 8th Station... Uh, there at mile 11 and people of course <laughs> are running terribly too fast uh at this point uh and i still think i i got there 45 minutes ahead of my projected time dang so i was even a little excited yeah so i knew well i'm gonna reel it back i knew this next section was gonna be pretty big 
It, I'm just yeah. looking at the elevation map on their website, and I'm like, dude, that next section looks nuts. <laughs> it, was, it was exposed. It was warm, and it was unrelenting. Uh, I remember a lot of people passing me uh, up to that point, and as we took off from that aid station, gosh, it was just a rocky, rocky wash that you start out in, and immediately it's up. And people were chatting and moving really quickly. I don't know. I got about maybe eight, ten miles in. And the people that had passed me, well, all of a sudden I noticed they were laying under little bushes. And I thought they were taking naps. I literally thought they were taking naps. I thought, wow, it seems early to take a nap. But I guess we do have five or six days out here. You know, they're just kind of conserving and that's their strategy. Well, the further I went, the more people that were laying around under bushes, <laughs> trying to hide from the sun, out of water, throwing up. Oh, my uh, gosh. Asking for help, uh, dry heaving. And I was like, oh, my gosh, these people have run out of water already. Uh, and we still, at that point, had a, a solid 10 miles to go. And I thought, well, I don't know what these people are going to do. Um and so I just kind of kept my head down and kept to myself. And I thought, well, I'm just going to conserve my water here. I understand now how serious this is going to get. And just kept poking along, poking along, and my water supply started going down. So I started to conserve water as I uh, moved up the hill. Uh, and with about three miles left, I ran out of water. And I, my last 500 uh, milliliters... I sipped on and held in my mouth as long as I could before I would swallow just to get me by. Just for like the peace of mind also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and people's mouths were so dry and parched. You know how your sticks, you know, when you're using your hiking poles, how they click, click, click on the ground. Yeah. That's what it sounded like when we were talking or trying to communicate. It was just that, dry of a mouth just dude that is so crazy at the beginning of the race too but there's something to be said like when you run out of water it's a mental thing i mean it's obviously a physical thing too but like it's scary you know yes and i remember thinking to myself stay calm yeah conserve your water and just keep moving do not stop and I just couldn't believe people were stopping. There was no point in stopping, just keep moving. But I guess they weren't really dressed for the occasion either. Uh, you know, with the solar load being so high, you know, a lot of people out there in short sleeves or sleeveless or tank tops and then shorts on top of that and then not wearing a big hat. Yeah. Um, it was just it was too much for them. Heat exhaustion, dehydration it stacked up on them pretty quick dude that's wild can you talk real quick about like i mean if someone's listening to this and they don't understand that heat you know um the just the importance like you have to have long sleeves that are white that's going to reflect more sunlight and you can like even i went for a run it was 100 degrees here a couple days ago i went for a run and at one point i pulled my sleeves up just so i could feel the sun against my skin and i'm like wow that feels like 
five degrees warmer against my like bare skin, you know? Yeah, I can't stress it enough. And I don't understand uh, why people don't heat those warnings. Um, I know why, Thomas. You know me, I'm always... I know why. You ready for this? <laughs> yeah. They, they, they abide by the ancient rule of sun's out, gun's out, you know? I, you know, people, I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> I spent all this time training and, I mean, I want to show off. I look good, you know? <laughs> Everyone see what I'm running with here you know yeah uh you know you better save that for camp at night because that is not going to serve you well during an event like this or any of those hot uh desert running events cover it up man it makes a huge difference and i was i i was my long sleeves cowboy hat uh buff up on the face just to keep the reflection uh the heat off the rocks from coming back on me and that really wasn't an issue for me at all. Heat wasn't, and you know, right now I'm sitting out here in Texas and it's uh, 90% humidity and probably 95 degrees right now already. And it's I'm like 11 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it, it's warm here, so I was accustomed to that. But what uh, my problem was was running out of water and getting you know, borderline dehydrated. And fortunately they started, I knew at some point they would start running water from the aid station down the hill Okay, because there were that many people in trouble. And sure enough, uh, about a mile from the aid station, here comes a guy carrying uh, a three gallon, uh, water canister, uh, down the hill to get everybody by. There was, <laughs> Quick, funny story. People were so desperate for water, and there's no water out there. Everything's dry. Uh, is about two, three miles from popping out to the top of the hill, uh, there's this muddy water trickling out of the mountain, uh, and there's a little bit of vegetation there, and the water is literally black as it can be. There were half a dozen people standing there when I come running through uh contemplating whether or not to drink that and and literally it was so thin you could only slurp on it or lick it (laughs) these people were considering it dude (laughs) that's terrifying man that's so crazy i would i yeah man that's that has to i mean you because you were texting us and like we couldn't get a full idea but you were like this is one of the craziest things i've ever experienced and i was like that means it is something pretty wild. Yeah. So and I didn't get zapped by it or anything like that. I did get a little bit dehydrated, but when I got to the aid station, um, I took my time there, uh, drank a lot of water, um, a lot of uh, carbonated drinks. Yeah. Uh, and just took the time to get well. Because uh, from there, I mean, was, you kind of busted free and cruised into Crown King okay. uh, aid station. And then I use that for a solid reset to get ready for the night shift uh, there. But then again, it was just a a brutal beat down all through that night, all the way to about mile 63. It, the course was just so baby head to grapefruit size rocks, just nonstop. And uh, wasn't a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, and in the dark, it's even more challenging, you know. 
but it was a blast. You know? <laughs> Dude. Okay. So the, what you just described, like, is the beginning of that race harder? Like, is it the hardest part is the first 60 some miles? Oh, okay. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if you make that first 65 miles, you've got it. There's, there's nothing that compares to the beginning after that. Yeah. Absolutely not. Uh, really, it's just the finish line just should be moved to mile 63. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and it has to be kind of like something that messes with your brain is that's so hard and you're not even to mile 65 yet. And you're doing a 250 mile race. You have to just be like, "Whoa, this is nuts." Is it gonna get harder? Like, is it gonna be like this the whole time? You know? Yeah. No. I, I, and you know, a lot of people probably did go down that rabbit hole, uh, low place. They were, you know, not feeling well, overheated, and dehydrated. And I think it was easy to get negative um, and maybe losing control and spin out there but now if you made it to mile 63 you were solid i mean if you would have been at the aid station at 63 65 i mean you would have seen some survivors hanging by a thread you know and that was such a great aid station had great volunteers there pushing us on and encouraging yeah um but you know people took the time to recover and get themselves clean and straight i remember <laughs> It was that night that everyone saw the UFOs uh, whoa. in the sky. Whoa, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, was it one thirty nine in the morning? Okay, I recorded it. I think it was one thirty nine in the morning <laughs> because I was like, I'm seeing this. Uh, I saw these uh, tiny white lights, like a string of Christmas lights. Uh, just appearing from nowhere and dropping out all in a perfect line flying along harmoniously it seemed like there were hundreds of them and it was like wow what is that and i was with a group of folks they were down the hill from me and i yelled down the hill if anyone else could see what i'm seeing in the sky and they all looked up they're like whoa oh my gosh well i got to the aid station the next morning uh, clearly a bunch of people had seen this uh, event in the sky uh, and I guess it was uh, some sort of testing for a uh, little satellite uh, the Tesla guy that uh, what's his oh, name? Oh yeah yeah uh, Elon Musk yes it, it has something to do with that where they deploy these tiny satellites for internet is what, what it is what? that they were doing testing for yeah it's it's a crazy looking thing when you see it. You'd swear it was some sort of a uh, flying objects, which they are, but uh, like a UFO or something. Dude, <laughs> I mean, of a course. A lot of people. Nah, man. Anything weird, people are just going to say it's Elon Musk every time. I don't know. I don't know if I buy yeah. it. I think it was straight up aliens. <laughs> Dude. It very well may have been. I mean, okay. So out of all the crazy stories I've heard of like, people you know having this encounter on an adventure with this animal or this thing happened like that's up there just like a weird ufo sighting in the middle of a 250 mile race is up there man 
Yeah, and after coming through, you know, 40 or 50 miles of difficult terrain and dehydration and things, yeah, man, that's an added layer of excitement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're like, oh, of course the aliens are invading when I'm, like, destroyed physically. Like, come on. Well, no, I turned to the people and I told them, I said, I hope they are here to take us. Get me out of here now. Beam me up. I think that's what I asked them to beam me up out of this place. (laughs) Dude, that's awesome, man. That is so crazy. Wow. So that's all within the first 60 some miles, right? Yeah, that's mile 63, I believe. Uh, So you got a lot thrown at you at mile 63. And I... I even slept that night. Um, my goal and strategy was to, um, so a day is 24 hours, right? And my goal and strategy was to run 20 hours each day and any time or 50 miles, 20 hours or 50 miles. Okay. And any time that I had left over, I would use that for sleeping, eating, recreation whatever I wanted is kind of a reward, right? Yeah. So I, I stuck to that strategy and served me fantastic. Uh, sometimes I would, you know, hit 50 miles and have six hours to play with. And uh, so, but I never, I never took full advantage of it. I either couldn't sleep or was ready to move on or do something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that first night, I did sleep out on the course, and I was with a group of folks, and uh, my uh, 50-ish miles was coming up. I'd been going for 20-something hours, and I said, I want to pull over and take a nap here. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah. They were like, well, it's only, you know, 13 miles to the aid station. I was like, yeah, no, I'm done. I'm going to sleep here tonight. <laughs> so I did. I, I slept out on the course, and... Uh, it wasn't very long, 45 minutes, and you wake up, you know, cold and freezing, and it's time to move on. But those little nerd naps make a huge difference. Yeah, well, you're, I remember you're, like, a huge proponent of that in these races. Like, they have sleep stations at the aid stations, but you're, like, you might get in there and not be tired all of a sudden. Like, you should just sleep when yeah, you're tired. Yeah. yeah, I don't do the aid station sleeping at all because a uh, lesson I learned from Tahoe uh, if you get in there, especially deeper into these races, there might be a lot of negativity there mm. and a lot of folks debating whether or not to continue on. And I choose not to be around that yeah. because I remember in Tahoe, I I got up and left an aid station because there was too much of that chatter going on. And sometimes that can be contagious. Yeah. And, uh, so I just sleep out on the trail, pull over, take a nap. And, uh, you know, don't set an alarm or anything. You're going to wake up cold and, you know, <laughs> less than 45 minutes. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Dude, okay. So whenever I talk to you, I'm always just fascinated because I'm like, you, and obviously, you know, we've raced and ran together and stuff. Like, you're just so calm and collected, you know. You're not getting, like, you're not hitting the high highs. You're not hitting the low lows. It doesn't seem like on the outside. Is that... Is that fair to say, or is like in your brain, are you kind of going on a roller coaster? In this particular race, when it really got challenging in that first uh, 63 miles, I remember thinking to myself, saying, 
the devastation and carnage around me of these racers. And I remember thinking to myself, stay calm, stay to yourself. Don't get caught up in this. And you know, you've been here before water is just a few miles that away. So I just start talking to myself yeah, uh, and not get swept up in uh, the visual emotions that are being presented to you. Um, but yeah, there's a little piece of me inside that's like, oh my gosh, what? I'm going to screw this up now right here. Um, but I really don't have those highs and lows. I keep it in check um, knowing that, you know, water or help is just down the way uh, or I can stop anytime I want and just take a break on the course, you know, provided I have resources available to me and uh, not exposed to sun or cold. Yeah. You know, so you can always just stop, you know, and get control of the situation somehow. Uh, and then you, you never know if you need something, I they have it for you. You know, uh, yeah. a lot of runners help each other out there. Uh, but yeah, no, I keep it consistent. Uh, just, you know, don't, don't get sucked in, uh, to the, to the game, man. Uh, yeah, man. Stay calm and take inventory of your resources. Okay. That's first thing you should always do, right? And, that, and that's what, take inventory of your resources. Uh, that's what's in your pack and that's what's in your gut and your heart and in your brain and in your experience. Yeah. If you take inventory of that, you're, you're going to do well. Nice. I love that. Take inventory of your resources. And, you know, I, I can't remember if I told you I did my first 100K in Iowa last year. Um, and yeah. I was, I was, yeah, I wanted to go back to the home state, you know, and, uh, and take it on. And I'm going to be honest, dude, I may have, um, you know, like I'm out here in the mountains here. I'm like, oh, mountains. Oh, like those are hard. Iowa, that can't be that hard. And I didn't think about how freaking hot it was going to be. And when it turned uh-huh. like 96 degrees in the middle of the day and uh. yeah, I hit, I hit like the hardest wall I've ever hit. Um, and felt like, like I was having the conversation with myself of like, Hey, you get to the aid station, which was like 50 miles in. I'm like, you get there and it's okay if you drop out, like that's fine. You know, just unprepared for the heat. And, but, but the thing that made me not drop out or give in to that emotion, like emotional decision was I knew the whole, like taking inventory of your resources. I knew if I got there, I was like way ahead of all the cutoffs. So I could just sit down, take my time. I was like, I could take an hour or two hours if I really needed to, to collect myself, you know? And then, you know, after like 15 minutes, you're feeling a little bit better and you're like, all right, I can do this now. And you get out of that like negative mind space. You sound like a seasoned pro. <laughs> I tell people all the time, don't ever quit. Uh, let the clock time you out. Yeah. And and that's exactly what you did. You got there. Well, I'm way ahead of the cutoff. Yeah. I've got two hours here. Yeah. Why don't I just stop and take the time to recover and chill out and let's see what happens. Yeah, and look at you. Fifteen minutes later, you're like, "Well, well I'm okay. I'm, I feel better." You know, so it's just kind of reversible causes. Yeah, and that's what you do when you get into the aid station. You you stop <laughs> and let the engine cool off, 
and kind of reset the button, pour some more fuel in and get to feeling better. And you're like, okay, yeah. But too many times people make that rash decision because they don't take inventory of their mental resources, maybe. Yeah. Wait, good job. Way to go. Dude, I'm putting that on a shirt, man. Thomas, you should put that on a shirt. Sell it. Take inventory <laughs> of your resources. Sure you know that. Oh, that's true. You should get a tattoo, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> body paint. We're going to body paint. <laughs> that guy, is that guy out here in body paint? Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, so um, where was I going to go with that, man? I know you also kind of mentioned being a proponent of like strength training, especially for a 200 miler. Like you can't just go out and run a shitload of miles like you need to have some like time in whether it's the gym or or your backyard doing like the strength training can you kind of like talk a little bit about that yeah um yeah that's critical core strength uh you really don't need to carry a lot of muscle mass a little hardier body type man it's welcome that's for sure uh, you might survive those big blows that trail throws at you every now and then and then depending on the size and the weight of a pack you've got to carry too you know yeah but uh, consistency like my particular program every single day after my runs uh 15 minutes of core um uh, and it's a it's a runner's core routine uh, that i was introduced to uh through my coach uh and some other collegiate coaches and uh, then listening to some other uh, doctors uh, uh, in the field talk about how critical core is and like I said every day when I'm done with the run it's 15 minutes of core workout consistent and I do 100 push-ups uh, in the process uh, and then a couple of times a week I might do um, five to 15 pull-ups uh, during the core workout as well. Nice. That's it. That's it? It kind of keeps you strong. That, that's it. That, that is literally it. You're a uh, strong man. And, like you're a strong human being. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. people would yeah, be shocked to hear about that. You know, I've had a few runners come over and work out and run with me, and I've shown them that. And uh, a few more Spartan athletes, and they were like, "No, you've got to do more than that." And I was like, <laughs> "No, you don't." <laughs> well, okay, let me ask and you this were, then: You're also very active outside of your running. It's not like you're going on a run, doing your strength training, and then like sitting down the rest of the day. You know? Oh, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. If I like yesterday before I went and ran, uh, what uh, my workout is a seven mile run workout with uh, intervals of 10 by one minute at 5k pace, one minute recovery, repeat uh, 10 times. But before that, you know, I just didn't have enough time. So I push mode my little five acre place for the warm up and then straight into the intervals and then a 15 minute cool down my core and then back on the mower just pushing a mower yeah so i just kind of incorporated all but like you said there's never any stopping or anything like that um like with my fly fishing yeah i just came off a trip uh up in the mountains and uh it was post holing literally for a mile and a half to get into a lake 
uh, waist deep in snow. So yeah, all of our activities are definitely full body exercises. So definitely not just sitting around. Yeah, man. Where were you fly fishing at? Uh, on the Sangre de Cristos. Nice. On uh, way up high there. Um, my lake was still frozen over when yeah. I got there. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Uh, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Fished a little bit, but mostly just enjoyed the serenity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, helped the guy shovel snow and clear some avalanches and uh, met a few interesting people along the way. That's but, cool, Yeah, good man. work for sure. Dude, I know you... I'm really interested in this, and we'll get back to Cocodona real quick, but I know you hike up sometimes to these high alpine lakes and mm-hmm. and go fishing up there, and I just think that's an, a great way to spend a day. Like, I'm just thinking, like, how else would I want to spend a day in the mountains? I'm like, that's it. Like, you're active with the hike, and then mm-hmm. when you're fishing, you're, like, getting that peace of mind and, and all that. Like, I just think that's awesome. I'd love to take you on one. You'd love it. So I'm I'm in, Alpine man. Lake fishing. Oh, that's what uh, I'm becoming. I'm it. I'm gonna be a water person from now on. After the the desert rats thing this in a, in a week, I'm turning into <laughs> nothing but a water person for the next like foreseeable future. <laughs> Aquaman, here yeah. he comes. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool, man. Are you, did, didn't you do a flyathlon with uh, your daughter? I thought you did a flyathlon. My kids did a flyathlon. I carried. I think my daughter Zoe was like maybe and she must have been like two maybe. And so my oldest daughter was able to like hike most of it. It was like a three mile hike total. They hike like a mile and a half to this lake and then do a fly fishing um, and then hike back. But my, my role was carrying the two year old the whole entire way. <laughs> so it's <laughs> a workout in itself. And then telling them that it's okay if you don't catch a fish. Cause we almost caught one and it jumped out of the water and got off the hook. And I'm like, Oh, it's okay. If you saw it, you laid eyes on it. We'll, we'll call it. That's a catch. Yeah. We can we count that man. <laughs> we count that. My daughter's actually, we just went pond fishing and we caught like 11 fish in an hour. It was fantastic. It was so much fun. Oh, they love that. That's Dude, great. They love that. loved it. Yeah. My my oldest like will fish all all day. And even if she doesn't catch anything, she just likes the activity. Ah, uh, well, wait till we introduce her to tromping up and down rivers and streams with uh stalking trout. Ooh. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. And then also I remember you mentioned at one point you paddleboard out with your fishing gear. I'm like, that sounds incredible. Is that only in Texas? No, no. I take it with me everywhere I go. Um, it always stays in my rig. And if I see something interesting or worth uh, paddling, man, I'm on it. Yeah. Um, just got through paddling uh, down in South Texas, uh, doing some fly fishing down there as well. So going up and down the rivers, we've had a lot of rain, so they're moving pretty fast right now. Yeah. So I've been enjoying that. And, of course, I live on a little river here. And I can jump on it anytime I want and fly down the current. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Well, okay. So take us back to like after the drama of the first 60 miles or so, did it just kind of calm down from there? Or were there more moments like highlights that definitely are worth like mentioning along the way? Yeah. uh, it, It took a while to kind of recover from, I guess the bit of dehydration that, you know, I exposed myself to. So like the next day and a half or so, 
you know, I just kind of cruised along, just trying to get better and everything else. And I guess it was about mile 122, uh, really started feeling better. Uh, me and a couple of guys started doing some uh, uh, line dancing in the aid station, and that kind of loosened up the hips. And, you know, we were just having a blast and a good time. And uh, uh, i tell you something crazy that happened, fun. Um, cruising down the hill, approaching Prescott, uh, headed to Whiskey Room. Um, you pop out of the woods, and it was fantastic. The fans along the way, this was interesting, pop out of the woods, and all of a sudden um, there's these people out in their yard, and they start blasting this music, uh, and there was a theme to um, Eye of the Tiger, Rocky. Yeah, yeah, classic. <laughs> and then they string up, yeah, they string up this finish line across the street, and all these people out there cheering, all, yeah, yeah. I thought, wait a minute, what is this? Is it some sort of stage that we're going through? What? They were just fans, and the course happened to be going by their house, and they were just out there cheering people on and just trying to, you know, uh, encourage them to get on into Prescott because it was still, you know, from the edge of the woods all the way to downtown uh, was probably still another five, six, seven miles. Yeah. But uh, as I'm approaching uh, – town uh i'm less than a mile away from uh whiskey row well i see this uh down this long historical street there's this guy standing at the end uh a few blocks and he's holding up a a, a camera and he's waving and taking pictures i thought it was one of the guys you know howie or scott it was that far down and i start waving to him like, hey and I get closer and I thought, no, that's, that's not them. Who is that? And I just thought, you know, some fan out there. And it was an, it was actually a friend of mine that I used to race bikes with and Xterra with. No way. Years ago, who had moved and now lives in Prescott and had seen where I was running this race <laughs> and was following my pen. And I literally almost ran by his house. And was out there to cheer me on. And it was such a wonderful surprise. I couldn't believe my eyes. You know, yeah. I have seen this guy in years, yeah. years. And, uh, man, you want to talk about a pick-me-up boost and just hit you right in the heart. I just couldn't believe it. Uh, and he walked all the way into Whiskey Row with me, uh, helped me out at the aid station, and uh, probably another three miles out of there with me that's so cool uh, visiting and chatting and catching up so you know that was super special um to have him there for that that Dude, was really awesome that's amazing whiskey road just sounds fun it is yeah whiskey <laughs> road aid station if you want <laughs> did I clear from it are you dead <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, eh, I want to save it for the end. It's hot. It allows me to press God. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. Plus, you want to have something at the end you're like working, you're looking forward to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I did that on top of our last big mountain, uh, which was Mingus. Uh, that that was a bit of a climb. Had to do that in the night. Um, and there was a crazy, awesome aid station at the top of that mountain. Yeah. Uh, it was a party. Uh, that, that that really should have been the finish line. The finish line. You, 
you could hear crickets when I crossed. <laughs> <laughs> it was the middle of the night. But this aid station up on the ridge uh, at Mingus was incredible. Yeah. Um, a beverage of choice, uh, whether it was champagne or beer, uh, brats, hamburgers. Uh, and kudos to them for placing that aid station up there. No joke. The wind was probably blowing 40 to 60 miles an hour nonstop. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't know how they had the thing glued to the side of the hill there. And the two folks I was with uh, almost got blown off the ridge uh, going in and out of there. Dude. Uh, there was a couple of wind gusts. We had to get down um, and wait for the gust to pass. Uh, it was that windy. And we were warned about the wind uh, during the night up on Mingus. But, yeah, it, it almost blew a couple of folks off uh, that were with me. That's crazy. Have you ever been knocked over by the wind? I haven't. I don't think I have. I but, did. I have. But I'll tell you, like, it's kind of a cheap way to be knocked over by the wind, you know? it. <laughs> it I was running along. Uh, long story. I basically, like, actually had an afternoon where Lindsay was like, hey, I'll pick, I'll pick our our oldest up and um you can go for a run after school i'm like oh hell yeah i'm definitely doing that so i was like i'm going up the mount like north table mountain by me and it was the wet the wind was ridiculous like it was so it was the windiest day ever and i get to the top but I, but you know it's my only time i can go after school you know like every other day i'm right. running at 4 30 in the morning which sucks so I'm like, I'm not missing out on this opportunity. So I go up there <laughs> and I get to the top and I see one other guy like hiking and we just look at each other and we're just like, you kind of nod like, yeah, we're both freaking morons right now. Like, what are we doing? And I was running along and the wind hit my, I lifted one foot off the ground to take a step and it blew my leg into my other leg and knocked me over. I was like, oh, what a cheap way to knock me over. Wind. <laughs> wind one yeah you none <laughs> me none yeah i had blood everywhere and a broken phone and i was like oh come on but but i just laughed because well, you're like yeah you're like this is my fault it does remind me of quandary i summited quandary uh and i was the first person up yeah uh, and i did have to hide uh you know how they'll dig out the rocks and yeah. make a pit at the top yeah uh, to protect you from weather. I remember now having to hide in that for 45 minutes, uh, waiting for wind to clear. Uh, and I finally had to just, uh, make a run for it because I was getting too cold. Yeah. Wow, that's right. Man. That's nuts. Yeah. And quandary is the quote unquote, like one of the easy 14ers. That's why I tell people there's no easy 14er out here. <laughs> to that point, you know, everyone always asks, what's the hardest race you've ever run? Yeah. And, you know, my answer is the one you're running at the moment. <laughs> right? What's yeah. the hardest run? The one you're doing at the moment. You know, it doesn't matter, does it? If it's a Coca-Dona or Bigfoot or what it is, because they're all hard within their own right It's in the moment. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Was there any spot where you got into like a really low moment or, or were you pretty steady throughout? Um, I wasn't eating or drinking enough and 
I remember being a little bit concerned about uh, rhabdo because okay. I hadn't I hadn't urinated in so long. Uh, I really wasn't hungry, but it wasn't because my stomach hurt or anything like that. It's just that, you know, when it's warmer, it's harder to eat. Um, and because that first 63 miles took such a toll, yeah. uh, it just took me time to recover from it. And I remember being worried, well, oh my God, what if I give myself rhabdo here, you know, I wake up and spill on dialysis or something. And so I guess that's where I started spinning out of control inside. And I was like, okay, dude, stop. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to eat this much food and you're going to drink this over the course of the next 15 to 20 miles. And if you're gone, you will be a goner. So I did, I took the time to do it and you've never seen someone so happy to pee. <laughs> and then 15 minutes after that I peed again and I was just ah this is awesome peeing. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got myself through that I was like ah I know I'm gonna be okay things are looking up you know yeah uh, but it wasn't a deep hole or anything like that but it was just one of those things where you start worrying about you know something that you can control easily if you'll just do it uh, and not worry so much you know about the bad things that could potentially come from it. Yeah. But yeah, I remember being worried about rhabdo. Yeah, dude, that was a long way. Dude, you, this is why I say you're like, uh, like you're like the Yoda. You know, like that j that story alone. Just I was like, oh, like you could apply that to any part of your life. You know, like don't worry about the things you have control to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be in the moment be in the moment don't worry about what's down the line or what you just came through just be in the moment be present yeah uh that you know one it's also we should have worn oh sorry go ahead i was go just gonna say it's also like don't worry about the things outside of your control you know because you can't control them but what you just said is also don't worry about the things you can control because just do do what you got to do to like handle them <laughs> you know yeah, and, and it just goes back to the inventory of resources you have. Oh, of course I've not been eating and drinking. I have a full bag of food here, Yeah, and I've not touched it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, take the time. Do it. Take care of yourself. You know, Take care of yourself. That's all you got to do. Dude, you see, this is the problem, Thomas. I talk to you, and I'm like, this is a 250-mile race, it seems perfectly reasonable right now. <laughs> it, it's, it's not that hard. I'm telling you, it's not that hard. I think people, their imagination just runs away with them. Oh, that's me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's not that hard. You know? and, and we ought to go do it. You know, I, keep, you know, I keep trying to talk you into a 200. I know, man. Uh, and when I you know. do, I'm going to go do it with you. Okay. Uh, I'll run the whole thing with you or I'll pace it all the way for you. All right, all right. Uh, but yeah, I, I am totally in for that. All right, totally man. How many, okay, so, you know, I... I well, let's get to the ending really quick because I think last time we talked, something that really stood out um, from when I talked to you after Tahoe is we talked about the finish line. And I think we were talking about like, do you get kind of sad when the finish line is approaching? You know what I mean? Because you're like, here's this thing. I just worked so hard. And you worked hard at, on this race really for like two years because of COVID and all that, you know? Um so is there any of that when you're approaching the finish line or like, how are you feeling? Like, what are you thinking about as you're getting to the end? 
Yeah, so this was different for me. Um, so I've kind of reshaped all of that thinking, and okay. it's this. It, it's an objective. Uh, and the objective is to complete this task. This task in this instance was 257 miles that away. And because, again, the reality is there's not a finish line. When I complete this task and objective, it will be on to the next objective and task, whatever that may be. Yeah. But I've taken I've taken away the finish line totally now, um, because I'm going to keep going until I can't keep going, and uh, the finish line will be when I guess we're six foot under or uh, spread out somewhere. Yeah. But it's just to keep going now, and it's the journey and be present in the moment and enjoy every bit of it and just have as much fun as you can because when it's over it's over yeah are you like you making that decision about not quitting that 100k back in your home state you know you could have quit right there but it would have been over but with just 15 short minutes you realize oh wait this isn't over yeah (laughs) i can keep going and that's what that is um for me but that's where i am with that now I've I've felt so happy uh, when I crossed uh, and landed in Flagstaff there. Um, I I couldn't wait to have a glass of whiskey and a beer and uh, just chill out, you know. It took a couple of days for the buzz to turn off, for sure, you know, because, you know, all you see is the the trail and the lights and, you know, the the sleep nightmares you have from it, I guess is what they call it. Um, But, yeah. No, there, there's no finish. Uh, it's on to the next objective and task and train for it, be prepared for it. And uh, I've already got the next uh, objective and task in mind. Oh, we'll man. That. You're inviting the question then because I always hate to ask the question of what's the next thing? Like I always just feel like it's such a like here's someone who just accomplished this great thing. And then you're like, that's cool, dude. What are you doing now? But <laughs> people were asking that during the race, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? We're on this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But since you brought it up, I will ask that. Like, what, what's, what's the next big Thomas Mullins adventure? I'm gonna go out to California and run the Kodiak, uh, and it's just a hundred miles. Uh, it'll just. probably be the hardest race I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> So out there in San Bernardino Mountains, uh, running around Big Bear Lake. Okay. Uh, so uh, it, it's one of the few races you can get into that doesn't have a wait list of two or three hundred people. But I'm familiar with that area. I've been out there before, uh, playing around uh, mountain biking and fishing years ago. Yeah. Um, way before I was into ultra running. So this is a hundred mile loop uh, out there, which is my favorite. Yeah. That's dude. I'm just trying to look at it. What like what was it about this specific area? Um, you know, I guess the draw is that I'd been out there before mountain biking, uh, and fishing years ago, I had a gig out there and, um, I just fell in love with that area. It's just otherworldly. 
it's a lot like uh, Arizona, yeah. I guess. Uh, now that I've seen a lot of Arizona, um, <laughs> you've become one with Arizona at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, But no, it's, it, it's a looped course, uh, which is very appealing. So it's just one hundred mile loop, um, and like I said, there's no wait list to get into it. Yeah, uh, my, all the big races now have a huge wait list on them right now, but which I'm not really interested in doing anything right now. Yeah. Uh, maybe visiting a lot of these smaller races and maybe revisiting some stage racing as well. Heck yeah, man. Sweet. Well, I love that dude. I want, I, I haven't figured out what my next big challenge is like, uh, for, for a race or something physical, you know what I mean? Um, right. So I've been spending so much energy, working on this film project i'm like i can't add another thing right now but but yeah challenge enough i'm excited about this project i've been uh listening on uh, catching a lot of info from your other podcast yeah all that good stuff and I'm like, wow this is going to be exciting well let me tell you talking to you today has helped uh calm me down a bit because there is a lot of the i don't know there's a lot of the self-doubt you know tiny voices that come in and i like your way of dealing with it which is just like no dude that's not logical like that's not something you should even you know that's not something you can be concerned about right now or your voice of just like this is something that is hard but you are able to handle it with taking inventory and think really thinking it through and i'm like oh that helps so much because i'm i it, it was funny this morning before i called you um I had a moment where I was walking around, I'm like packing and stuff. And I'm like, I think I'm pretty calm. Like, I think I feel okay about this. Like, it's going to be cool. Like, it's going to be fine. And then 20 minutes later, the little voice in my head's like, oh my God, panic, panic about everything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, basically. And I'm like, oh, oh no. I had both the voices at the, almost at the same time, but no, it'll be good, man. I'm I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> there's an old saying in the trail running world, and uh, it, it applies to exactly what you're working on. Just change the words a little bit. But the trail will give you exactly what you need when you need it the most. And this project that you're working on will give you exactly what you need when you need it the most because you have surrounded yourself with some incredible talent and it's not just you. Remember, you have all this incredible talent around yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, so embrace that. And I know you have. And they're embracing you. So and you're not alone. This project will give you exactly what you need when you need it the most. Dude, let, I'll just I'll end the podcast there, man, because that just gave me so much hope. <laughs> Thanks. all right man oh dude always man i i can't wait till we talk again or or hang out or whatever man i'm looking forward to it i'll be seeing you soon i know it all right all right ladies and gents that wraps up the episode with thomas mullins uh dude seriously cannot express uh just how thrilled I am every time I'm talking with that guy or every time I get to see him in person. Like, I don't know. I just, I really enjoy 
being around him. So uh, it was awesome. He hinted right at the end because I just re-listened to like the very last, like, I'll be seeing you soon. I'm like, oh, he knew. He knew he was coming to Desert Rats and he wasn't telling us. That schemer. But uh, but yeah, so anyways, one last story about Thomas. Um, he has this cowboy hat, right? And he wore it the very first year I raced with him. And as I was finishing the stage race for the first time, I was following him on that last day and like you're going down this hill and all of a sudden in the distance like rising up is the town of Moab and there's all these like orange rocks and red rocks and like is it is what you imagine the old west to be mostly because a lot of the old west movies and tv shows stuff like that were shot in areas if not actually Moab, then were areas that were like a lot like Moab. So it's like what you imagine when you imagine the West, right? And I'm going down this hill and like, he's probably like 30 yards in front of me and he's wearing that cowboy hat. And I'm like, dude, I'm just following a cowboy into Moab, dude. This is exactly how I wanted this race to end. And I had headphones in at the time and the Indiana Jones soundtrack kicked on. It was like, bum, ba dum bum. Bum, ba, and I was like, whoa, this is exactly how I wanted this race to end. Uh, and we wrapped up the first year together at the finish line. My wife got a video of us hugging her and the girls and like, I don't know. It was just awesome. But that cowboy hat, he comes out this year. He helps us film and he's on the crew and he's helping set up the race. He's just like the dude people went to if they needed anything, like any help or whatever. And so at one point I'm like, dude, I'm so tired of like sleeping on the ground. Basically like I need, I didn't sleep the whole race and that's a whole nother story. And like I said, at some point we'll do a podcast about it, but I was just like, I need like actual sleep. And he has his truck there and he has like a pop-up tent on the truck on the top. And like, he basically like has everything he needs to like adventure out of his truck. Um, he calls it his, like, he's like, this is my rig. And I was like, man, I, like I drive like like a SUV like to take my kids around to like practices and stuff and like daycare and stuff like someday I want a vehicle I can refer to as like my rig you know because that just sounds cool it sounds like you're going out into the wild and so I'm like oh cool man is there any way I could sleep like the bed of your truck tonight I'm just so tired of you know being on the ground and he's like sure man and so he set up like a little extra mattress in there and he had like an actual pillow i think that was it i just needed like a legit pillow because i was just stuffing stuff into my sleeping bag um like that little bag that holds the sleeping bag the sleeping bag's bag basically so i was just stuffing like dirty clothes in there and using that as like a tiny pillow um so that's my go-to sometimes but he had an actual pillow. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. But when I walked in the bed of his truck, his hat was there, like that cowboy hat. And that was four years ago that we ran and I was following him into Moab and stuff. And so this hat has been been through a lot. It's been through Tahoe. It's been through Coca-Dona. You know, it's been through all the other adventures and all that stuff along the way. And it was like a $20 gas station cowboy hat, you know. But it is so beat up and it's like taped and and he has like like pieces of of tape holding it together at this point. And it just looks legendary, man. It just looks legendary. And I told him, I'm like, dude, like I feel like 
this is like the Stanley Cup of hats where you can't touch the Stanley Cup until you win the Stanley Cup, right? So his hat's sitting there on the bed in the back of his truck. And I'm like, dude, I don't think I can touch this hat because I haven't earned it yet, you know? Like, I feel like I need to go out and do something, like, insanely awesome in the world of adventure, ultra running, and then I feel like whenever that happens, and I don't know, like, at some point, maybe, Thomas Mullins will be at the finish line, like, on a trophy case, will be this hat, you know? Um, And, you know, as I finish, he's just like, you you earned this hat today or something. And I'm like, Oh, what? This is amazing. Cause I don't think I can wear a cowboy hat. Like I just don't, I don't think I can pull it off. Like I'm a dude from Iowa, you know, like, I mean, I guess there were cowboys in Iowa, but I just feel like I'm not like, like, like manly enough to wear a cowboy hat, you know? So someday though, someday, maybe that's, (laughs) that's my Stanley cup from here on. I want to win Thomas Mullins cowboy hat. I'm saying it right here on the podcast. Um, you know, I someday, hopefully I'll earn it. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) by that point, it'll be like tattered. He'll have done like all the other 200 mile races or whatever is it'll just be like hanging there by a thread or something. But, uh, but yeah, so anywho, uh, awesome episode. Awesome time. Hope you guys learned a lot. Um, he just shares so much knowledge. He's just a great racer, great adventurer. Um, at the end of desert rats, you know, we were like, I was, we were so exhausted by the end, like, let alone like how the runners felt like I can't even imagine. Um, but you know, I just am imagining that I'm like, where's there. I talked to the med crew and they're like, the med crew stayed with us at, uh, our Airbnb for a night. And I was like, where'd Thomas go? And like, oh man, he just said he was going into Colorado and he just drove off down that old dusty road. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly like a tip of the hat, a wink of the eye heading down that old dusty road into the sunset. That's, that's what you got to do. Jumping over rattlesnakes and like all that fun stuff. So, uh, anywho, uh, that wraps up this week's episode. Um, I can't wait to jump back in. I'm going to start recording a whole bunch of episodes over the next few weeks before my summer is up. My summer vacation is up as a teacher. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of them. I'm hoping to get a lot of really interesting, fun guests on. Uh, and I hope you guys have been enjoying the show. All right, that'll wrap it. See you guys.